welcome to the Neurodivergent Selling Podcast. Very happy to have you here with us today. My name is Sandy Summer. I'm your host, and I'm welcoming Michelle Markham. Michelle has a coaching business for neurodivergent folks, um, specifically in, in the relationship realm. She's um, a late diagnosed um, autistic person, and she has some great wisdom to share, and we have a great time chatting. Again, thanks for joining us. Michelle? Yeah, so I'm Michelle Markman. I'm a neurodivergent relationship coach. I am a late diagnosed autistic individual. Didn't find out until I was in my late 20s that I was neurodivergent. Um, and I help other people who either think they might be neurodivergent or are recently late diagnosed mm -hmm. to really understand this new um, sort of reframing of their entire life history and how to go through the process of mourning, you know, that neurotypical identity that we all think we have until we find out that we're neurodivergent, how to really embrace our superpowers and how to leverage our strengths and scaffold our weaknesses. So that's that's pretty much what I do. Cool. Well, welcome. Um, it's a pleasure to talk Thank to you. You. Um, you know, it's um, it's interesting because um, we hear so much now about superpowers. Um, and in some ways, I think it sounds cliched, but on the other hand, it's true. I, I've seen um, in so many circumstances how um, if we let society dictate the way we're supposed to be versus how we are, then we there's so many things that um, we end up focusing on that don't really matter. And the things that do matter are things that, um, you know, might not necessarily fit within the frameworks of, of the way things are thought they sh thought to be, I guess, is the best way to put it. I just, I just, I see, like, for example, um, a couple weeks ago, I was looking at, um, I don't even remember how I ended up on going down this rabbit hole, but it was about um, folks that are autistic that have pattern pattern recognition skills that are superpowers. They're not like other people's. Yes. In Israel, yeah. they, um, the Israeli army um, uses, uh, they have a whole bunch, they have a whole staff of folks that are autistic that are able to look at pictures and see like, like, like an aerial photograph of an area that they're trying to protect, for example, and something will be not mm -hmm. where it was before. Or there's a new thing that wasn't there and, and nobody yes. else would even notice it. You know, um, right. the, the other thing that is related to that and um, is, and you might have some sense about this also is that, um, you know, if you're neurodivergent, a lot of times, you know, you're hypersensitive to sounds and, um, and light and whatnot. So I hear these stories about um, guys that are autistic that'll show up to a job interview wearing, um, you know, um, noise reduction, reducing headphones and sunglasses, and then don't get the job because they didn't present themselves the way that people are, the way that everybody thinks we're supposed to present ourselves. And I think mm -hmm. that companies really need to be aware of it. Like interviews are not job. Like, I don't know, most of the interviews I've been on yes. are all the same. They have nothing to do with your job and your ability to do it. Right. It's a performance. So it, it basically really you're coming in to perform. And just because you can perform well at a job interview doesn't mean you can do the job. No. I mean, if, I, if there's a guy that is, is clearly a guy or gal that can do something, I don't care. And, I, you know, I just, it's it, it's fascinating on one hand. It's, it's uh, frustrating on the other because I think a lot of, we miss out on a lot of people that can really be of, of benefit to whatever we're trying to accomplish or whatever organization we're at, where we have those kinds of things. Um, now, when you, um, well, let's, well, first let me ask you, how, how, what's the process that you are utilizing right now to grow your business? And tell us a little bit about your business too. Um, and then, then after that, tell us about, you know, how you find people that are looking for help. Yeah, absolutely. So what I'm doing right now to grow my business is I'm going on podcasts. So that's one of the things that I'm doing just to get the word out there. I have a Facebook group. So I nurture my Facebook group with content. Um, I am coaching several clients right now. And I do also get referrals from my clients. Um, what was your follow-up question? Um, the the follow-up question was, um, you know, what... Um, Let's see, I mean, I'm gonna have to edit this because now I can't remember either. I asked you, um, it's okay, uh, no, it's okay. I asked you, um, how you're going about getting clients, and then also, um, 
you know, there's so many different ways that as, as a coach, especially one that works with folks that are neurodivergent, you can build your business lots of different ways. What's, what's the primary way that you're building your business right now? Niche specific Facebook groups. So okay. my ideal client is a neurodivergent individual who's either self-diagnosed or late diagnosed and is looking to really understand their new diagnosis or new understanding of how they interact with the world and leverage their strengths and scaffold their weaknesses to really just create a life relationships and community that they love and they can thrive in. That sounds, that sounds really interesting. One of the things I think that I know um, has been a challenge for me. And I think, um, you know, growing up with a sister with Asperger's, I think was a challenge for her as well is, is self love. Like we're, we beat ourselves up like without mercy. And uh, it's, I mean, I know my self-talk sometimes borders on, well, it doesn't border on. I know I would never talk to someone the way that I talk to myself in my you know, internal dialogue. And mm-hmm. I think that, um, you know, is that a problem or a challenge for, for um, most neurodivergent people? Or is that something that's, that was, you know, something I've just had to deal with myself? No. So I would say across the board, anyone that has an internal dialogue is really prone to having this, what we call judge come up, this person who just speaks to you in this horrible manner that's inside your mind. And I would say that it's more, (laughs) yes. And I would say that it's more of an issue for neurodivergent individuals because we've had so much of our lives, we've been told you're doing this wrong. You're acting wrong. (laughs) This is wrong. (laughs) So how much of that voice is people from your past that have told you you're wrong and how much of it is really your internal voice. So I think being able to separate the understanding of that voice as critics from your past can really help people. But it's definitely a big challenge for us, especially with the the monkey mind chatter that happens. Yeah, it's, uh, it's, it can be, um, yeah, it's can, sometimes can be overwhelming. I think, um, mm-hmm. you know, it's, Oh, gosh. Um, language is so powerful. And it's, unfortunately, negative language carries even more power than than uh, positive language. And what I mean by that is that if I tell you, Michelle, blah, 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 and it, was a, it has a negative tone to it, there's a very, very good chance that you're going to believe me and buy into it, no matter what it is. On the other hand, if I say something that's positive, then you're likely to be more um, interested in verifying and um, to a degree, and I'm not sure how it biologically is a benefit to us. Um, So it goes back to the whole negativity bias. Right. So we as individuals are hardwired, like you're saying, to notice things that are negative, to see problems so that we can survive. And it really goes back to that hind brain, that survival brain where, you know, we're out on the plains of Africa and we see the tiger, you know, you have to be aware of the negative things or the things that can be of risk to you. So we have sort of this bias that's built into us where we just see negative over positive. And also you have a certain um, frame that you've constructed throughout your life through your experiences. And so if what you are experiencing or what you're hearing doesn't line up with the framework that you've constructed, you're going to toss it out. Right. So someone can say, I really like your dolphin fin. And you're like, I don't have a dolphin fin that's out the window, you know, yeah, Yeah, it doesn't have to be that extreme. No, it's, it's just, um, you know, People fascinate me. I mean, that's and and um, you know, I the other day I um, I've been using Chat GPT as a toy and as a tool. Actually, I've been trying to figure out what its limitations are, what it, how it can help me, how I don't want to use it, and um, there's certain things. And I think this is something I actually probably could have gotten on Google or maybe not. I don't know. I was looking for ten of the best quotes that um, were about neurodivergent selling. Well, ChatGBT came back to me and said, well, we don't have any quotes about neurodivergent selling, but we do have 10 quotes for you about success with with, um, neurodivergency, right? And um, 
which I thought was cool. Um, and one of them was that, um, you know, um, it was that, uh, what was it exactly? I'm going to have to, I'm going to, I'm going to actually look right now because it was, it was that good, but it was about that. We, um, that we are the people that make the world an interesting place, you know, that it would be boring without us. Yes. And, um, so true. Yeah, it is. Um, I mean, it's, you know, I, I wonder, I wonder how though, like, um, when you think about it, like, I think, um, an inordinate amount of people that are ND are business leaders, um, are people that think outside the box, literally and figuratively. Mm -hmm. Um, but we're not always the best employees, you know, we're like, we're, we, um, and so it's interesting, like, okay, so you're, you're the CEO now. And typically that means that you started somewhere, maybe not on the bottom, but you started in a place that is lower than where you are right now. So I wonder how, um, you know, people that may th feel and think a little bit differently than other people um, are able to rise to, and, you know, cream to the top. Um, and I think the, the way they do it is that they are able to um, take some behaviors, some ways of thinking that um, aren't necessarily on first glance considered positive and turn them into the superpowers that we've talked about. And I just wonder um, how we learn to do that because I don't know that it's necessarily um, a native ability it's, I'm not sure. What do you, what do you think about that? Um, so I think that throughout our lives, we definitely learn a lot of skills about how to, you know, those of us that tend to be either um, work ladder climbers or tend to be sort of high achievers. And I think a lot of it comes down to, at least in my experience, um, learned social skills and learned relationship skills. Because when I'm looking back on my history and my success and, you know, the jobs that I've had in the past and getting those jobs, it's always been that I've gotten a referral from a friend of mine yeah, relationships or a position at a company that they're working at. So I think it's so important for us, especially as neurodivergent people, to have strong relationships and to learn how to cultivate relationships with both neurotypical and neurodivergent people. Because the world runs on social interactions, whether we, you know, whether that's our, our first sort of strength or not. Right. Yeah. It's, you know, I, I um, on my, on the surface, um, you know, I, most people would probably say that Sandy is, um, you know, very outgoing. We'll talk to anybody. Um, and, there that he's an extrovert well all those things are true but they're not necessarily um my default or default yeah. it's um i didn't realize until the pandemic um exactly how much energy being the way that i am takes because <laughs> once i got a break and i and i'm not wishing this on anybody but one, once i got a break i was like okay it's oh it's not it's okay to be by myself like i don't have to be around people all the time and I used to have a, a little bit of a fear, I think, um, that of being alone, you know, and, and not really being comfortable mm -hmm. in, in my head all the time. Um, and so the, the pandemic actually gave me an opportunity to um, learn to not only accept myself, but love myself in ways that I didn't before. Um, and I wonder if that's... Um, you know, if, if that's an atypical experience that I've had, or if that's something that other people in your coaching business, have you talked, like, do you talk to anybody at all that has expressed anything that's anywhere close to what I just said or no? Yeah, definitely. I think the pandemic has really changed our relationship with work and with how we run our lives. You know, before the pandemic, it, everything was very much in person. Um, everything from employment to grocery shopping, everything, you had to show up for it. And since going through the pandemic, we realized that we can really automate a lot of the things that we were doing 
you know, in person by hand. For example, I get my groceries delivered now because it's just easier. You know, I can spend time with my family instead of at the grocery store dealing with fluorescent lights and noisy kids and all that stuff. And I think it's really, yeah, yeah. I think it's really understanding our priorities and actually prioritizing them. And I do hear that from my clients as well, that their priorities have not necessarily shifted, but they've become aware of what their priorities actually are. And they're starting to honor those priorities by doing things like finding remote work and getting groceries delivered instead of going to the grocery store and asking for the supports they need, like noise canceling headphones at work or earplugs or something like that. Well, you know, it's interesting that you you mentioned the, the groceries because um, I live in New Orleans and uh, for a number of reasons, um, the first reason being that we have the world's worst, worst drivers here. Um, we also have floods. Yeah, we have floods and we have a lot of auto theft. So our insurance premiums are insane. Like, I mean, wow. insane. Um, I've got um, a perfect driving record. I even was a truck driver at one point. Um, and I, they wanted um, the last renewal, they wanted $675 a month premium. A month? Yeah. I'm like, uh uh-uh. uh. Wow. I got, rid of my, I got rid of my car. I, I'm, I Uber everywhere now. And if I need a car, I rent it, right? Well, wow. I used to walk to the grocery store, and um, which is less than a mile from my house. And then I would take an Uber home with the bags. Every once in a while, I carry them back. But a lot of times, it was, it was too much. But w- once I figured out that it was actually cheaper to have them delivered than to actually walk and then have the Uber, with the, taking the Uber home was more expensive than the the delivery, in fact, with my grocery store, if I order $35, um, then there's no delivery fee, right? So um, yeah. it, it's a game changer. It, it is. And I mean, I, I, I don't like so I don't like shopping. Uh, that's the one thing that social anxiety where it really kicks in. Like I get if, if somebody comes up to me at a, in a store and asks me if I need help. I mean, they might as well put a gun to my head and said, um, you know, give me all your money. I don't, it's just, it stresses me yeah, out. Yeah, I just laugh because it's relatable. <laughs> yeah, it's, so Amazon, like I would have a lot more money if there was not Amazon because I wouldn't shop, but for Amazon. And um, I love, I was a customer for, in the beginning because I love to read, but then as they grew their product line to include everything, like if you can't find it there, you might as well just not look anywhere else because you're not going to find it, right? Um, right. And um, so, Amazon and and I mentioned earlier to you, uh, Instagram is like a thief. Um, I don't know what it is about their ads, but um, I don't care what the product. Well, actually, I shouldn't say that because they one of the things that they do um, is they they know what you're interested in, either from paying attention to your phone conversations or whatever they do. Um, I think you know they they um, are pretty much on the mark. Um, it's something you're interested in, something you're involved in, whatever it might be. Um, I don't see a whole lot of um, things that cross my eyes that isn't interesting, at least. Now, the the challenge with that is that, um, and we've given up, you've, maybe you've heard the story of, like, if you put a frog in a pan of cold, you know, cool water and turn it up, it turns up, you know, gradually the temperature keeps going up. And then yeah. they cook to death because they never jump out of the water. Yeah. Well, if you throw them in a hot water, they want to jump right out, right? So we've given up our right. we've given up our um, privacy in ways that um, it happens so slowly that we're like, whoa, what happened, right? Um, and right. I think we've re- resigned ourselves in some ways that well, we it's hard to backpedal on that um, from where we are right now. And some of it I don't mind because some of it really is convenient. Like I don't have to sift through things that I'm not inter- interested in because they know what I'm interested in. On the other hand, it's a little bit creepy, you know? Um, and I think yeah. that, um, you know, it's, I, I don't know that it's probably too late to, to turn it around, unfortunately. Um, but it's, so I do all I can to, to maintain some, at least belief that I've got some privacy, but I don't know if I have any, you know, mm-hmm. it's, um, and you know, I, I feel like, um, 
you know, I don't know, with, with um, any kind of artificial intelligence or machine learning, there's pros and cons, obviously, you know, that, because it, it right. can absolutely, um, well, it, it can make a big difference in, in your day and the things you have to do. Um, I, um, although chat GPT is not working right now, this probably, the servers are probably overflowed, but um, I've asked it some very um, just fact-based questions in the last couple of weeks where um, for me to find the information out, um, and, and I think it's it's worth noting that you should probably verify a lot of it because there are glitches in it still. It's not perfect. But if it's not life or death and I ask it for a list of quotes, um, and then I'm like, yeah, I've, I've read these quotes before. I've asked it for quotes. I've asked it for, um, you know, step-by-step instructions on how to do something that I had procrastinated for weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks. And I asked it to give me a framework. And it took three seconds, if that, for it to give me the framework. And it was actually the framework to get the podcast off the ground. <laughs> um, oh, that's of, awesome. Yeah. And it was just, there's, um, they call them engineered prompts, I guess now. So it's, you know, it speaks normal language. You don't have to know code to get it to spit back information. And I just said, look, I have a podcast. I know what I want it to be about. Um, but I have only a concept at this point. Give me the framework to take it from where we are right now, which is an idea, and to actually having the first episode online. It didn't miss anything. You know, and that's not cheating. Um, that's utilizing um, a tool, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and you know, it's going to be interesting though. And, and like my son's a freshman in college and they've had discussions at university um, about chat GPT because they're concerned about, you know, doing your own work and, and plagiarism. And those are, you know, things I think that they need to be concerned with. Um, on the other hand, you know, he goes to an art college. He wants to be a filmmaker. And um, one of his favorite songwriters had a fan who um, had asked ChatGPT write a song in the voice of um, uh, what's his name um, Nick Cave. Nick Cave, he's Australian. In, in Nick Cave's voice about so and so. Well, so the mm-hmm. guy did it, and then he sent the lyrics to Nick Cave and said, ChatGPT did this. What do you think? And Nick Cave's response was, Well it used some language that I'm familiar with that used a little of my voice. I hear it, but this computer chat GPT has not had life experience. It has not um, lived a life has no, you know, has all these facts and whatnot inside its engine, but that's not the same as having lived. And um, people are worried about their jobs and Mm -hmm. leverage. Like, so, and I think, Honestly, I think a lot of people who are worried about their jobs are, are people, a lot of them are neurodivergent because they tend to be encoding. There's some things that, you know, I don't think, I don't think anybody that's alive right now is um, got to worry about their jobs as long as they learn how to leverage technology. Would you, um, there's always been new innovation has always driven some opportunities away and created new ones. I mean, you know, Henry Ford made it so every horse was unemployed, basically, you know. Um, Right. So, you know, I don't think the end is near. I think, I mean, to me, it's exciting. Um, And, you know, I guess the fear for a lot of people is, and we're starting to see this in in Northern Europe, I think, to a degree, is, look, work is... um, you know, it's a human dignity. Most people want to work. I, it, no matter what the politicians tell you, most people want to work. And there's a certain dignity that goes along with work. If we automate everything so that there's not much opportunity, then I, I don't know that it destroys our financial um, situation. It would require it be revamped somehow, because I don't think you can starve people just because we've um, become so efficient. What do you think about that? Right. 
Yeah, you know, I think we're still a ways out from fully automating systems. And like you're saying, I think there's a lot of opportunity around automation that's come out and around the technology that's out there. You really, anybody has the opportunity to start an online business. You know, if you want to do drop shipping or you want to do, you know, really any kind of online business, you can do that as a side hustle now. And technology has given us that opportunity. I'm not too familiar with the chat GPT platform. I've heard of it, but I haven't really checked it out. So I'm not too familiar with that one. But I think that like you're saying, we're still quite a ways out from automation, taking jobs away from people. And as we continue to learn and really stay on the cutting edge of the technology that's coming out, that gives us the most opportunity to contribute to our workplaces or start our own businesses. And I really think that we still have amazing opportunities out here, if not the best opportunities that we've had available in history because of the internet and because of technology. And so, you know, if if yeah. that's something that you are finding challenges with, you know, I, I definitely encourage you to reach out to me. We can talk about that um, as well. And I think, you know, you, you hit something that I totally agree with. I think that if you change, well, there's a quote, if you change um, the way you look at things, the things you look at change. And yes. it's absolutely Not all about Nick perspective. Nam. It's all, and like you can say, oh, well, gosh, it's so hard, all these jobs, you know, um, you know, computers, blah, blah, blah. Well, or you can say, look, man, there's so many opportunities that are being created right now because you can side hustle your way to a huge level of success, depending on what that level is, whether it's time freedom or it's, financial freedom that you've got m multiple income streams uh, or a combination mm -hmm. of all those kinds of things. Like I'm, I'm there's some, um, if I was young right now, I mean, not that I'm terribly old. I think, you know, I'm not going to say how old I am, but it's the new 20 is what it is. Okay. So you were starting out. Yeah. It, there's like, it's, it's mind blowing to me. Like all the things you can do right now as in this, in this gig economy, like you mm -hmm. could literally, well, okay, as an example, you're not all that familiar with ChatGPT. Well, there's you have to prompt, you have to engineer prompts to get the information you're looking for, okay? So the better the prompt is, just like the old saying, you know, garbage in, garbage out. If, if you've got a good prompt, then you're going to get a pretty good answer. Well, there's companies now that are, and I'm not an expert in this, but this is my understanding, is that they are pre-making templates for the prompts that go through GPT, which is an open um, source language, and that their the requests that their customers are making that go through the template are then coming out through still the language that Chat GPT has. So, hmm. um, like there's there's um, platforms that will do personalized cold email for you that they're really good. If you try to do the same thing yourself in ChatGPT, it's not very good. So the, the only difference is the template and that they've pre-constructed it and just allowed you that to like fill in the blanks kind of, I think. And that's not the way it looks as a customer, but that's ultimately, I think, what's going on is that you're giving it the stuff to customize it and then it fixes, you know, makes it happen the way that it's going to be, um, look and, and feel the best. Um, so there's... Um, I just found out today, um, there are companies now that are hiring contract workers to do what employees are doing now. Um, and, but you could, if you're, if you want to do five gigs, you could find five of those and spend, or, you know, 10 hours a week on each one. Um, and depending on where they, where their customers were and what the geographic footprint was, you know, you could, um, potentially work like part time, and then sleep weird hours. I don't. I mean, there's just so many different, th so many different ways right. that people can be accommodated now. Like you, the, it's global. Like I, I, I call Israel. I call India. They're on Absolutely. opposite sides of the world, you know. And do I have to get yeah. up and make some phone calls at weird times? I, 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 I've done it. I don't like doing it necessarily, but. Um, mm -hmm. I know people that work remotely that live in Greece now. Now, if I was going to work remotely, that like, um, for, like for, foreign remote, I probably would pick some place um, that was more in line with the hours in the markets I was 
um, serving only because like if you're going to be in Greece, like you, don't you want to be in Greece? Like you don't want to work at night right. and sleep all day. Um, Costa Rica is a place that a lot of people I know are doing remote work in now because they've got a remote uh, visa, work visa, um, and it's central time. Um, so it's the same time I'm on. <clears throat> and But, you know, you could live on the beach and surf and do what I do, and it's like $1,000 a month rent. Um, yeah, some people, like a, some countries will even um, sponsor you to to move there. Yeah. I'm not sure which ones they are now, but I know that they're out there. Yeah, do some research. I mean, there, um, Costa Rica was looking for um, dollars being replaced that had been taken away from the by the pandemic. You know, um, mm-hmm. there's states that are doing that now. Like in West Virginia, um, if you're like into mountaineering and skiing and you know hiking, and it's a beautiful state. But there's not a whole lot going on there, right? So they're 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 focused on trying to find people that are remote workers that have a certain level of income. Um, that um, thanks for joining us today. We really appreciate your support, and we plan on big things for this show. Jess V is going to be joining as co-host next month, and we're excited to be a voice and provide a voice for folks in the neurodivergent selling community specifically. If you have any uh, questions or comments, certainly go to our website at www.neurodivergentselling.com and you can leave voicemail or um, a message there as well. Thank you. To have all these outdoor activities available to them um, and they're paying uh, $12,000 stipend um, that they pay, I think, $800 a month for the first year, and then lump sum at the end of it. And then there's all these other, um, they've got, um, uh, you can work from home, or they also, they're all in university towns. So they've got um, like a place where you can, like an incubator where um, a bunch of people that are, are um, remote workers can all work in the same place and have some level of collegiality or whatever. But um, I know there's, they've That's been, so they're doing cool. it in Tennessee. They're doing it in uh, Kentucky. They're doing it in Indiana, Ohio, um, Iowa, Kansas. It's it's hmm. a lot of places that um, don't have real wide tax bases. That so they're trying to develop, um, I think, a, a, an income tax base. Which you know, you can live like it, it helps companies. It helps individuals because think about it. If you're a company now, all of a sudden you've got your talent pool is not defined by your geography, you know, and you've got right. people that you can talk to. So you can find the best people, not the, not the people that live in the best area that, that you live, that you're in, like where you are, doesn't matter. Um, right. And I, I, I first worked remotely in 2005 and I remember being concerned about it because as an ADHD or we're not always focused, <laughs> we're either hyper-focused or not focused one or the other. And um, so I was concerned about my self-discipline. Um, but what I found out was that um, the lack of distractions with the social interaction that you have in an office um, helped me tremendously. Um, I, I could get, with hyper-focus, I could get my work done half in, in half the time. Or do Yeah, you definitely, yeah, yeah, you can definitely get a lot more work done, especially working remote. And I actually recommend a lot of my clients um, to look into remote work because as neurodivergent individuals, we can just be so overstimulated in the office. You know, there's yeah. fluorescent lights, there's all the relationships that we're navigating, there are temperatures, changes that are out of our control. There's just so many external factors that are distracting for us. And we can be so much more productive when we're working remote. Yeah. So it's really a great opportunity that we have now. It, we do. It is because like you said, there's just the ability to accommodate um, everybody in an office, whether no matter who they are or what they're doing is pretty limited when you think about it, because you know, I mean, I don't even know where the thermostat is or was in any office I've ever worked in, right? And temperature is definitely something that I deal with. Like I'm always, um, I, I run, I don't think that if you take my temperature, it's any different than anyone else's, but I feel like I'm hot all the time, right? Um, and so if- Pretty I, typical for neurodivergence. Yeah, yeah. 
I'm uh, and I don't, I like to be I like to feel like um, room temperature. Like I've like, yeah. like in other words, it's not hot, it's not cold. I, but it's mm-hmm. funny that that's only in climate controlled environments. Like I love the heat outside, but it's when I'm inside. Like I can't stand to be hot if I'm inside or cold. I like to be comfortable. And um, I, one thing that I did, um, and I, I don't know if, if you've ever done this or know anybody that has, and it may not be the right thing to do for a lot of people because I think it might be too much. Um, have you ever heard of sensory deprivation tanks? Yes. Okay. Um, the way they're designed, at least the ones I've been in, you feel like you're in the womb because it's not high, there's, you don't feel anything. Like you can't see anything. You can't hear anything. And um, so the water temperature is actually slightly higher than our body temperature because it, it would it would feel it would feel cold or no I'm sorry that's not right ninety eight degrees body so it's it's just a little bit below that to um, feel like it's it's not there's no temperature at all time when I was in a century I've done it twice three times and you know it's usually an hour and it feels like about three minutes. Literally, because there's really? no, yeah, you don't. Uh, now, are you claustrophobic at all? Because I have uh, not tried this due to no. I have claustrophobia. Um, see, the, the thing about it is they, they, there's all sorts of warning signs, like, because not everybody, it's not going to work for everybody. So they, they like pause so you can bang on the door to get let out if you need to in the very beginning. Um, there's no light. There's no sound. You hear your heartbeat. Seriously. And it's so I don't know what makes people um, feel closed in, but don't you need some kind of stimulus to feel that? Like, I, that's what I'm at. I'm, I don't know. Um, I don't know. I'd have to try it. I do know that um, as a child and even sometimes now I like to step into closets and turn the light off because it's like a sort of self-created sensory deprivation tank. You know, yep. you're taking away all the external stimuli, no sound, no light. It's it's crazy. So. I mean, it's um, but the, I first heard about it back in oh gosh, it was probably the eighties. There was mm-hmm. a movie called um, Altered States that uh, William Hurt was in, and it was based off of a true story, I believe. Um, he was a research scientist who um, purposefully took hallucinogenics and got in this sensory te- deprivation situation to see what impact that would have on mind bending chemicals. Because if you're, if there's no senses, like what happens, right? Mm-hmm. And um, so that was when I first heard about them. And then it wasn't until probably 2000 or no, the first time was in the nineties in, in uh, Arizona. And it was, I was like, wow, it's it, it, if, at least for me, um, it would eliminate anxiety for a couple of weeks. Um, wow. It would um uh just everything slowed down so much that I felt like a lot more in control. Um it's I don't know how to explain it other than that. Um but that's why I brought it up because I wonder, you know, for those of us that tend to get overstimulated, being mm-hmm. understimulated to the degree that there's no stimulation at all, like what, what what does that do? I don't know. It's it's worth um finding out about, I think, though, because, um, you know, it's it's different than any other experience I've ever had um, as far as, um, you know, your, uh, you know, the way that um, it impacted me. I mean, I, I would do it more often, but um, mm-hmm. it's not, they're not cheap. I mean, at least here. Right. I, it's, well, it's not, it's not like it's, it costs about the same as a massage. Like it's you're gonna, it's like a dollar a minute, probably something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, there's, um, I think they make them for home use now too. The problem with wow. the the problem is those is that um, the solution is I don't remember what the ratio is between alum um, alum salt or and uh, water, but it's significantly towards the salt because you're floating like literally like you're in the dead sea is how, oh, wow. how you float. Um, That's really cool. Yeah. And, um, but because of that, you have to have a very special filtration system. So it's, so it's, you know, not just a breeding ground for, you know, all sorts of organisms. Bacteria. 
Um, yeah. So it'd be almost like installing a sauna at your house. But I could really yeah. see how, you know, that would potentially reset your nervous system. Something that I do in my coaching business is I help my clients with dealing with overstimulation and also dealing with understimulation. So there's tools that you can utilize for overstimulation and tools for understimulation. So some of us as neurodivergent individuals are sensory seeking. You know, if you tend to go for bubbly drinks or um, you like to go out and go dancing, that can be an expression of sensory seeking. So there's tools that you can use to manage and moderate the level of sensory exposure that you're having. So I could really see how a sensory deprivation tank could potentially reset your nervous system. That's really interesting. Yeah, that's probably the best way to describe it is it is a total reset. It's uh, it's it's because it literally. Well, I guess nobody knows for sure, but they talk about it as if it's back to the womb. You know, you're in this dark hmm place that you can't hear anything and you don't feel anything because it's the perfect temperature for your body. So my guess is that um, if, it, if the womb's not like that, it's got to be close. Um, I also, and I've never actually admitted this publicly. Um, I may have to edit this out. We'll see. But um, <laughs> I was microdosing LSD for a long time. Um, and it is absolutely... Um, a great tool for anxiety. Um, it's if if you read about it, it's you'll just been it. approved by the FDA. LSD oh, I, I and didn't even know it was been, I knew it was and a ketamine. Yeah, ketamine. Is well, I know for a fact ketamine is being used in clinics. Um, that one's for sure FDA approved, and that's supposed to treat anxiety for up to several months. And that's in a it's in a guided session where you're with a clinician and they give you a ketamine. Um, yeah. dose and it's supposed to really just yeah i know that, that um, mdma i think has been approved now too um, yes mdma was just approved and um it's the way the protocol for um well it'll be interesting to see how the protocols are in a clinical situation versus what they anecdotally were what like what how they were constructed anecdotally because the the path for um lsd was um, 10, well, you would take, um, one full size dose and make a tincture out of it, um, that you would then take one tenth of the tincture, um, mm -hmm. it was 30 day, uh, it was every three days because of the half life of um, LSD. And so if you did it too much, then you would develop, um, um, what's the word I'm looking for? You know, like you would have resistance to it. Like, so the, the fact that you yeah. have, go through a half life, you build up a tolerance. Right, to exactly. it. So, um, but you don't feel like when you do microdosing like that, I would say you may, you might feel a little bit shinier and brighter, but you don't feel anything that is close to a hallucination, you know, but you're definitely, um, um, at least I was more, um, grounded and, um, less anxious. Now, the, the protocol that was um, in place from the organization that I, I educated myself through, which was all university-based stuff, um, they just weren't, you know, it wasn't legal at the point at this time. Um, but it was mm -hmm. that you microdose for um, 90 days and then do a 60-day um, break. Um, and Interesting. Then, but then after the 60-day break, you did what they called a heroic dose, which was like three or four times the normal dose. And that would destroy all anxiety for like, they, what they found out is that if you, even if you didn't microdose after that, that you were going to get the benefit of microdosing for uh, about a 90 to 120 day period. And I think that's kind of wow. how they're administering the ketamine. I don't think mm -hmm. it's an ongoing um, treatment. I think it's like, um, no. you know, you, you do it and then, um, and it's just, it's interesting, like, like so LSD was um, um, discovered, I guess, well, I don't know when it was discovered. It was, you know, originally, it, it was, um, the way that it was um, manufactured was through um, these zygotes um, from um, mold that was in, um, that would show up in rye, the, the grain. And um, mm -hmm. so then they synthesized it, the Sandoz Labs in Germany synthesized it, and um, it was very cheap to make, and it was very effective uh, to treat alcoholism. 
um, and some other addictions. And um, they, I'm not a huge conspiracy theorist, but there's some evidence that um, the, um, this is going to sound crazy, but that some of the big um, liquor companies and beer companies and cigarette companies um, basically um, lobbied against the drug being marketed um, because it was, it was, it was not an illegal drug. It was it was legal until the early mm-hmm. '60s, and then it became a um, you know a, a controlled dangerous sub, a substance. Um, right. And I, there's evidence that that um, you know the army was using it. Um, like the CIA definitely used it in some stuff, and they but um, you know it was dangerous economically. I think more so than it was um, as far as um, our health. And if it's going to be a, a, an economic um, challenge for companies with a lot of money to lobby, it's not out of the realm of reality that they, they could have lobbied that way. You know, it's certainly. Yeah, absolutely. I don't think it sounds crazy to tell you the truth. <laughs> right. I really don't. Yeah. It's, <laughs> unfortunately, you're, that, that you're right. I mean, and it shouldn't. The world runs on money. So. Yeah, it does. It does. But yeah. it's just, it, but it, 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 this is one of those things that like, I could talk about this forever. When, when I see something it's a value to a lot of people, but it's not real profitable because it's so cheap. Now, see, the thing about pharmaceuticals is now that it doesn't matter how cheap it is to make. You can charge whatever you want because the government doesn't care, you know, and that's I mean, right. I, it's it's um, and look, I think drug companies need to be able to reinvest in R&D. That's what drives mm-hmm. that whole thing. But at the same time, okay. should insulin be a luxury for people no, that have of course that. not. It's just yeah, insane. Of course not. You know? I hate to interrupt, um, Sandy, but I have to um, get on another call at four o'clock. So I, just so no. we're yep, that's fine. On the same. No, I, yeah, I'm. Um, okay. I'm enjoying the conversation. I'm. I, it's, I'm going to have yeah. a challenge uh, editing this down into something that's digestible because I feel like I'm specific, really all over the place today more than usual, um, and I apologize that's for okay. that. But I'm going to do my best. Um, so. Your coaching, like, um, it, and I don't know that, that um, you know, it's, it's, I, I was coaching, teaching, like, there's, we don't grade people we're coaching, but how do you measure success or is it completely up to your, your client to measure whether they feel like um, it's successful, the, um, you know, the work they do with you? How does that work? So tangible results. I help my clients get tangible results. So most of my clients are looking to either establish a romantic relationship, improve a romantic relationship they have, establish friendships, improve their friendships. And most of them are looking to develop and cultivate a sense of community. So what I help them to do is find partners, improve relationships with partners, find friends, develop friendships, and be part of and establish a sense of strong community and to be part of their community. And so these are really tangible results. And we'll also work on what the client wants to do. So at the beginning of our first session, we say, you know, we get together and talk, we figure out the client's top three strengths and top three weaknesses, so that they really know where they're coming from as far as strengths and weaknesses. And in our follow-up sessions, we'll figure out what that client's goal is in a three-month period. So they can set their own goal. I can help them set a goal. But the overarching results that they're getting are those tangible results of forming new relationships, strengthening the relationships they have, and having a strong community around them. So tangible results is really what it's all about. Right. Well, let me ask you this. Um, so... Um, Community is something that um, I keep hearing over and over again in the neurodivergent atmosphere, universe, I guess. So, mm-hmm. um, and maybe do you, do you think that's because it's sometimes um, we don't always feel like we belong, and so we're looking for that, or is it something else, or is it a combination of things? I think that. Most of us as neurodivergent individuals have at one point or another thought, am I an alien? Oh, I'm, I'm definitely How alien. am I on this planet? <laughs> like, I don't relate to these people. 
they don't understand me. You know, I mean, you go through so much rejection when you're neurodivergent. I would say it's fairly common to have a lot more rejection than a neurotypical person would have in social contexts. And so I think that establishing, cultivating, understanding how to form community is so important for us because we need community just as much as a neurotypical person needs community. You know, the average life expectancy of a neurodivergent, I'm sorry, an autistic person is 16 years less than that of a neurotypical person. And that's equivalent. Yeah, that's equivalent to a person who's isolated. So an isolated person has about a 17, 16 to 17 year less life expectancy than a person with a strong community. So having a strong community, having strong relationships, having good friendships is really literally going to save your life. And it's going to prolong your life and you're going to have a better quality of life. So it's really important. Yeah, it's... um... I mean, is that, and this uh, this just popped in my head, so I have no idea if it's anything related to this, but if we isolate, I would, you could say, well, um, our immune system is not going to be as well developed because we're not going to have encountered as many. Is that part of it or is it something else? Because that just it popped into my head. It could be part of it. Yeah. I mean, I know it, it has a lot to do with mental health, physical health. I mean, it's it's a holistic thing and we don't just need to have online relationships, we need to have in-person relationships. There's something that we get out of being in the same physical space with individuals that we can't get from being online. So it's so important to have a balance of both online and sort of IRL in real life relationships, because we need to have both. Well, I was talking to a guy one time, not too long ago, who does, um, 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 online relationship coaching for IRL. Um, and one thing I didn't ask him, so I'll ask you, is that um, how do folks that are neurodivergent, um, like how do they develop a level of comfort um, about approaches or um, organizations or activities where they're going to meet people that they want to meet and they want to meet them um, and and have it feel um, good and not contrived um, and also safe. Yeah. So, I mean, there's a certain element of practice that goes into that. There's also what I work on in my coaching program, which is self-acceptance and learning to love yourself. And when you can really embrace yourself, it's easier to put yourself out there with other people. And it's easier to go through the rejections that everyone faces. So I think one of the key things that I tell my clients is if you have a special interest or you have an interest that you're passionate about, find a group that does that interest. If it's ceramics, you know, take a ceramics class, meet people that are interested in ceramics. You can talk to them about what it is that you're passionate about and form a relationship based on common interests. Yeah, that's interesting that you brought that up because um, what I have found is that um, I, I tend, I tend, I mean, I'm, I'm interested in a lot of different things, but when I'm hyper interested in something, um, it can be almost weird to somebody else. I don't know. Yes. Um, and I think a lot of, of, of us have that happen. Um, well, that's why they call them special interests, because yeah. we get very focused on our interests. And, and I know everything there is to know about it. And like, if, if I'm not interested, I don't care. I don't know nothing. I don't, it's not important, right? Um, mm-hmm. So, um, and that level of, uh, you know, special interest can seem a little off-putting, I think, to some people, you know, so um, it's... Uh, but, you know, it's what makes the world interesting. You know, if everybody was the same, yes. then it would not be nearly as entertaining as it is right now. And as they say, so true. You ever heard the uh, quote, fact is stranger than fiction? Um, you know, yes. half, some of the best stories, if somebody wrote, wrote them as a fiction piece, they wouldn't accept, a publisher wouldn't accept because oh, this is too out there. This isn't unrealistic. And your story's got to be based on something real, at least, you know. So, um, yeah, it's uh, yeah, it's it, it is interesting. Now, let me ask you another question, though, because I, I was thinking about this too. Like sometimes I feel like it's not bad to go to a place where 
people have slightly different interests than you. Because I, I think that like in a relationship, there should be, um, and I could be way off here. You can, you can tell me if I'm right here. But there's like my story, your story, and then our stories together, right? Mm-hmm. And if we're both um, interested in, you know, um, using a, a, what do you call it? Like if we want to make ceramics, you've got the thing that spins around. Um, the wheel. The wheel. Um, so that's great that we both are interested in that. But what if that's the only interest we have? Like then isn't it going to get boring? Like how, how do we meet people where we've got some like if you took a, a Venn diagram, there's some commonalities, but there's enough outside the, the part in the middle that, um, mm-hmm. you know, does that make sense? Yeah. So I think part of my suggestion around meeting people around common interests is that it's an easy beginner's way to do it because it really makes it more accessible. Right. You can talk to people about what you're interested in. You don't really have to moderate or change that. You can info dump on the subjects that you love and people aren't really going to bat an eye laugh because you're there for that subject. Now, an example is my husband and I, we have almost nothing in common, but we have the same sense of humor and we constantly joke and play and we just, we have an amazing time. We just always have fun. But we don't have anything in common. You know, he's into music and he's into um, politics and I could care less. So it it really depends on the individual and it depends on, you know, what your priorities are and where you are as far as developing your social relationships. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I think, um, you know, it's gosh, that's great that you all can have so little in common. But I think. But it, it it shows though that like I mean imagine if everything was in common you'd probably want to kill each other right I mean <laughs> so the fact that 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 you have not signed out death warrants for each other is probably a good sign you know so yeah um, yeah yeah it's um it, it's it's a challenge though like you said because like we tend to um, get to the point of maybe having an interest in somebody because we've shared some experiences with them like whether mm-hmm. that are usually based on some kind of like well, they, we, I met them at, you know, this restaurant that we both like. They happen to be there at the same time, whatever it might be. And, um, mm-hmm. you know, um, but sometimes like, like I like to be away from people that have interests that I have. Like I like to try to find something else to do because so, I start to make myself crazy sometimes, you know, I mean, so it's, yeah. it's interesting how, but I mean, relationships are so, they're so complicated um, they are all like onions, so yeah, many layers I mean, and so many facets, and we're always learning in relationships. I mean, if you really want to get to know yourself, get into relationships. Yeah. And every time you deal with a trigger, you're going to learn something more about yourself because that trigger is a reflection of something you see in that other person that's within you that you yeah. need to deal with. Well, I see my, my, um, the, I have certain triggers that, uh, that I try to um, avoid them going off, you know? So, um, and yeah, when you think about, we have to know our boundaries, right? Right. There's, um, but you know, I think, gosh, if we could all um, have a level of self-awareness that um, took us to the point where we were so in tune with who we are and what we respond to that we could um, avoid those things that we want to, not respond to and then embrace the ones that we do. Um, but it's, you know, there was a business philosopher named Jim, Jim Rohn, R-O-H-N, and I'm going to paraphrase this, but he said, you know, humans are the only animal that God gave the dignity of choice and he could have made a much better choice, you know. Um, and it's, you know, us having this uh, menu of things we can do in front of us is not always uh, – we don't always make the best decisions. So, whereas a cat, you know, if a cat jumps on a stove, the stove's hot, they're not doing that again. You know, we're, oh, it'll, it's going to be different this time. It's going to be different. Right. It's, and that's one of the things that fascinates me the most is, is our, us and our seeming inability to always do what seems to be the right thing. It's not that hard to figure it out, but we usually make it difficult. And I'm sure you have right. to deal with that a lot, you know, so... Um, Definitely. Everyone learns their lessons at um, a different speed. And so if you're having the same what about, issues what about come up over and over. Never learn. 
the lesson. I mean, that's, that's a bad speed. So it's now. I'm, Do you want to learn is the question. Uh, yeah. That's um, I, some, I think sometimes we're too smart for our own good though. We think that we can outsmart the universe and we can't, mm-hmm. like, you know, I, yeah, I've, it's, yeah. I've never had much luck doing that anyways. <laughs> It's it, like you're. It's like an evil laugh that you have, like this knowing laugh. Like, yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about. So, yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, There's only so much control we can exert. <laughs> well, that's the thing. That's the thing, right there. Because, um, what I have you read any of the Stoic philosophers like Marcus Aurelius, Seneca? They tend to work with my mind in that if I can avoid. Um, you know, um, worrying about things I have no control over, if I can avoid that, I'm in great shape. Um, we spend way, 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 or at least I spend generally, my default is to spend more time on the things I have no control over versus the things I do. And mm-hmm. it should be the other way around. Ben yes. Franklin said, we spend 90% of our time focused on the 90% of things we have no control over instead of 90% so of the true. time on the 10%. And it is a yes. freeing feeling Ben Franklin was probably neurodivergent. <laughs> yeah, yeah, oh, absolutely. But it's like, why do we, it's torture, and we do it. And yes. I, I'm really getting much better at it, but it's, I'm still a yeah. work in progress. I, I'm not always able to give up that, because um, we want to control, like, we want to control everything, you know, or at least mm-hmm. I do. So. Yeah, there's sort of a way of looking at life, um, a reframing that can make things a little easier. It takes a lot of processing, but. I'll just tell you what it is. So we tend to kind of look at life as this something that we can white knuckle. We can just sort of control every element of life, but that's really not how life works. Life is kind of like an ocean and you just have to be a surfer that rides the waves. And sometimes you get knocked off your surfboard and sometimes you ride that wave and you come out of the tube other end and it's the most beautiful thing in the world and you just don't know what's going to happen. But if you can look at life like an ocean, and you're the surfer on that ocean can make it a little easier because we really don't know, you know, what events in our lives mean. We don't know if, if say you break your foot, um, if that's a good thing or a bad thing, you know, it could seem like a totally horrible thing, but then say, you know, you're in your twenties and they start recruiting soldiers for the war and they come to your town and they recruit you to go to war, but you have a broken foot. So that saved your life. So it's hard to say, you know, what's a good thing and what's a bad thing in life. So if we can see life as an ocean and us as a surfer surfing that ocean, it's just a really nice reframe to kind well, of let go of that control. I think you're absolutely right, too, because um, I, I don't know who said it. Somebody famous said it. They said that um, there's nothing is either good or bad. You know, it's what you you assign either good or bad on your own. That's your decision. But nothing is is either good or bad. And with an ocean, you have two choices, flow or fight. And fight doesn't win yes. when the foe is that big. So anyway. You're in a riptide. You better not fight it. No, you got to get out of it to the side. You cannot. You, yeah, it's. Swim with the current. Yep. Yeah. Exactly. So, well, listen, this was, I, I hope that I can um, figure out how to create um, an episode out of this. I think I can. It may just don't have, um, I'm not an expert. So I'm going to do my best. No worries. So um, I'm not I hope worried that it, at all. It will, uh, you know, be of interest. I, we've we talked about enough nuggets, and I think we'll, I'll be able to pull some stuff out that'll be of benefit to people. But um, I, yeah, yeah I, I re- really appreciate your time, and I would love to have you back sometime too. You know. Yeah, um, absolutely. I would love that. Can I just do a little plug for the end absolutely. for how yeah. to contact yep. me and everything? Yep. I want okay, you to do that. so, so yeah, thank let me, you. Let me just say, right. let me say. Um, so thank you so much for for joining us, Michelle. If somebody wants to get in touch with you, um, what are the best ways that they can do that? Yeah, Sandy, thank you so much for having me on the show. I really enjoyed it. You can find me at my website, which is michellemarkman.com. It's M-I-C-H-E-L-L-E-M-A-R-K-M-A-N.com. Book a 30-minute transformation call there. It's totally free. It'll change your life. And I really appreciate you having me on the show. And thank you so much. Thank you. It was, it was a pleasure. It was a lot of fun. And I'm sure we, that we've got some great stuff here for people. So 
You have a great rest of your week and we will talk soon. Thank you. Okay. Thank you. Awesome. Thanks, great. Sandy. Thank Bye. you so much. You have, you have a great weekend. Okay. Thank you. Okay. You too. Okay. Wonderful. Thank you.